Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. A um, few things I have to say. One is we personally are involved both as a lifestyle, a ketogenic diet, but also through my 16 years of clinical practice of what is effective. What do people need to take sometimes, all the time, to support their ketogenic diet? You'll get bits and pieces of this ongoing week after week. It's important to be comprehensive. In one way, it's simple. and one way, it's a little bit complicated. Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp, and welcome back for another episode of The Keto Naturopath. Well, today, it is going to be just you and me. We're going to talk for a little bit. We've been through quite a journey. If you've been listening or caught up from the first podcast, we did the history and the evolution of the ketogenic diet. We've covered epilepsy. We covered talk to cancer therapists. And we have so much more to cover and to drill down with some primary research in all these different areas. But today, I thought we'd regroup some of our thoughts. Because here's my problem with talking about the ketogenic diet. And it's talking. Ketogenic diet is about doing. We can talk a lot. And I talk a lot because I am driven to find out more and more about it. Because it has, I would say, almost exponential benefits that are being discovered all the time. However, I think it's peddled off rather cheaply. It has kind of a it's gained a kind of cheap sort of cachet on Amazon, buy this, buy that, get an instant ketosis, and you get all these benefits. It's not quite that way. And yet there's a whole sincere group of deep researchers, both medical application to patients, researchers in a lab, you know, a lot of rat and mice studies, and then uh, hopefully working their way up to human studies. But there's a lot of cheapness about this. We started a group coaching, oh, about three or four weeks ago. And uh, what's really interesting is when you have a larger group, and there's only about 10 people, when you have a larger group, you have a dynamic that is nowhere near the same in the one-on-one. When you have a group of 10, some people can hide out. They participate less. They, they engage less. And that's the thing. It's about doing. It's not about talking. It's not about listening. I can give you all the information in the world until you start doing it. So I track their logs, their diet diaries, in essence. We have an online app that we can do that. But that's not a panacea. That doesn't work across the board for everybody. Some people have just learned to fill out their logs. And instead of really wanting to engage in this, they use this as a shield of putting in, I would say, arguably bogus material that I certainly won't know if it's bogus or not, but I sort of get the sense about them if they don't ask questions and, you know, they miss a, an episode or two of our uh, weekly calls. So you have that going on. And, and so I think, well, why would that person, you know, who really wanted was really motivated because I sent out an application and that they had to go through a questionnaire and that's a list of requirements that we required to do. You know, why would they go to this trouble and yet not engage? Well, and I think there's two things. One is that it's that sheep thing. We, you know, it should be something that you only need a few instructions and you're good to go for the rest of your life. It's not quite that way. You're dealing with your metabolism, which is a period of transition. And it's really a period of vulnerable transition that I think you need to be guarded, hypervigilant about through going this particular period of time, the initial time, you know, your macros and so on. I don't mean to be, get into coaching, but I'm saying that. There's a time of making a transition that you need help in protecting yourself to make this change because there's enough negative influences out there, certainly the commercial ones. But then there's the 
peer group of if you're doing that, oh, you're you're really on that silly diet, and that's so unfortunate, absolutely so unfortunate. Uh, not much one can do about that, but that's why you have coaching groups. Then there's others in the coaching group that get um, that they have a very serious problem, and they get that if they want to be around for their children, then they need to uh, address this seriously now. So it's just interesting to sort of see the response to, are we going to engage? And I think of Viktor Frankl, who uh, wrote a lot about uh, the concentration camps in World War II. And really, you know, people don't make a change in their lives unless they have to. And what that means, and I paraphrase that, what that means is there has to be a pain point. There has to be some source of motivation that is so strong you're willing to go through the awkward phase of thinking differently. And the very least, it's thinking. Uh, and then secondarily, it's about doing. So when it comes to talk about diet, you know, there's almost this religious aspect about talking about diet. And I, I'm not saying that it gets into Christianity or Buddhism or Hinduism or, or you know, Islam. What I'm saying is that People kind of ostracize you if you're the person that's associated with a certain way of eating. Even in my own family, I have uh, my brother passed a number of years ago, my only brother, and I have four sisters. And for the most part, one can't relate to anything I do. Oh, you have this weird diet. I never know how to, you know, when you come over to cook for you, like, uh, like I don't eat turkey anymore. But, um, and, and it will always be that way. There won't be a bridge that you can go over and say, hey, tell me about what you're doing. It's just this. They can't cross it. You're a weirdo because you're talking about diet. So that's the association I'm making. It's just like if somebody came in, it was a uh, whatever their particular religion is, um, you would politely listen to them. But after that, it's like if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. And you politely shut the door and saying, I'm going to do my life now. So diet tends to fall in that category for a lot of us on the receiving end. So that's the background. A lot of lessons to learn in coaching. And uh, it's interesting to, interesting to see how people respond to doing the initial mundane work of calculating their macros, tracking their macros, finding out what foods fit in, inside these macros, and moving on from there. It always comes down to, and I knew this from practice as well, uh, regardless of how well-intentioned and how articulate patients were about how much they needed my help, if they didn't have a significant pain point, I need to drop so much pounds because it is hard to sleep or it is hard to walk or my blood sugar is so hard and I have a nine-year-old child that I want to make sure that I'm around for. If it's not a bitingly hard, really in-your-face, obvious motivation, chances are you won't make that change. There's just no reason. So back to Viktor Frankl's, people don't make a change unless they really have to. Not so much they want to, they have to. All right, so... That's just a preamble. What we're going to get in today are things that I think are not covered and should be covered in terms of the ketogenic diet. And I don't think they're esoteric. So what I mean is this, is that you out in the public, what are the two, I shouldn't even have said two, what do you think are the number one reasons people want to get to the, to the ketogenic diet? A, it's weight loss. They want weight loss. Men and women, mostly women, by a factor of about 9.9 to 1, want weight loss. Men do too, but they just don't raise their hands as much. And then the other is basically for athletic performance. That's a little more focused and a little more technical. And then after that, it falls away. 
it falls away dramatically. And so unless you do have dementia or Alzheimer's specifically, then you'd be inclined to look into that. Who wouldn't? You know, save part of my brain. Give me a little more consciousness than I have. I've heard good stories. So that's about it. One, two, three. And I think, actually, that the top two reasons that one should do, should's a hard word, should do the ketogenic diet, should consider doing the ketogenic diet, are really uh, none of those reasons. Certainly, if you had Alzheimer's, I would definitely uh, look into it and get some help. That goes without saying. But the first two, first two are great, but that's not the average person. The average person isn't going to be for athletic performance. You don't, they're not um, Olympic contenders. And uh, weight loss is nice. Uh, that's a, that is a health factor. And it's associated with diabetes, of course. And diabetes is important. And it's very important. I, we know uh, the numbers are escalating and it has to do with healthcare costs. So that also is an important reason. But I think for the average person, why they would do this are for two reasons. Really two reasons alone. And one is, I would say it's for mood slash anti-depression. So that's pretty tough. We don't want to talk about depression. So it's a little bit politically incorrect to talk, to talk about depression or, or that there's things to be depressed about in our environment. There's a lot to be depressed about in our environment, whether it's environmentally, whether it's politically, whether it's economically, it goes on and on and on. We've learned to deal with it, to shield ourselves off, to stop looking at it, but it's there. And it's hard sometimes. And... Um, we look at things like suicide rates, uh, antidepressive medications are the number one medications prescribed of all pharmaceuticals, so there cl clearly there's a need. What started me thinking in this direction was I was reading, oh, uh, it might have been an article or something on Reddit, and uh, somebody posted something that made reminded me of this was a very important point, this whole anti-depression thing. And we're going to get into some details about this. So the anti-depressant thing that was, uh, depression aspect that was written about was this. He said, I'm convinced this, uh, I'm convinced his good feelings were due to increased GABA levels that increases as a result of ketosis. He's correct. This idea seems so damn obvious, he says, or she says. On days when I'm particularly fat-focused with my diet and eating fewer calories than normal, I have a mild euphoria described in the literature, and it's like a minor high aided by half an Adderall, mellow and focused. I got a chuckle over that. I haven't been on Adderall. I haven't tried Adderall. But when you think about the application of the ketogenic diet and you think about fasting, I mean, what did Gandhi and Christ and Buddha and um, I'm trying to think of famous fasters off the top of my head, they went away to focus and to think about what they were going to do. And we just left it at that. I covered part of this in the history uh, and the evolution of the ketogenic diet, but specifically what gave them this sort of uh, spiritual powers, if you will, a spiritual enlightenment. And um, I'm not going to go to the spiritual route, and I don't want to take anything away from that particular way of looking at it. But basically, it, it is an increase of GABA. GABA is gamma amino butyric acid. And so um, this comment that I just read you brought back to me that 
when we talk about mental clarity, focus and mental clarity, it is not a small thing. This focus and mental clarity is, I would say, it's antidepressive, antidepression medication. This is huge. When you think of the market of the pharmaceuticals, when you think of suicide rates, when you think of all these things, and you go, this is huge. This is the number one reason I think everybody should be on a ketogenic diet for the good part or experience it, get into ketosis for a while over a sustained period of time. And I wouldn't strong arm yourself into starting, you know, do it in a sensible way. And you'll find that, wow, you know, you, you are back in your own body and you're going to feel good. The feeling good. So I have to sort of repeat this a number of times. So GABA, that's what we're all going to call it, gamma aminobutyric acid with a triple line under the butyric or butyrate part, because that's a big thing. Well, GABA is what they call an inhibitory neurotransmitter. Inhibitory meaning slows you down. So think of benzodiazepine or think of gabapentine. These are some of those pharmaceuticals that actually use increase your GABA sensitivity, increase your GABA for a short period of time. And clearly, these medications can be somewhat addicting because of, one, how they react with a, your GABA receptors. But this is why people feel good is because their GABA concentration has become greater than their glutamate, which is your stimulating. So you have a GABA to glutamate ratio. Glutamate is a excitatory uh, neurotransmitter. So you have what they call inhibitory versus excitatory. So think of glutamate. And you go, what's glutamate? Well, think of that food ingredient, GMO, uh, not GMO, sorry, um, monosodium glutamate, MSG, monosodium glutamate that has been associated with a lot of uh, Asian food restaurants, usually poor quality Asian food restaurants, good Asian food restaurants don't have MSO in it, but it's a neurotransmitter. And that's why the headaches and so on and so forth that are subsequent to having that particular additive in your food. So it's glutamate. It's kind of a salt mix in that particular case. So that's an excitatory neurotransmitter versus GABA, which is an inhibitory neurotransmitters. So I went through a couple of studies and said, you know, I got to go further with this. I had heard the same thing as well. But sure enough, that's exactly right. GABA, and so I have, let's see, what study in front of me? I have a number of studies. This is a study by a number of others, but Dr. Stephen Kinney is part of this too, who will be interviewed in the next uh, month, if not the next week. A fascinating guy who does a lot of work on um, dementia, Alzheimer's. And uh, I've mentioned him a number of times before. So we're going to, and he's, he has a huge understanding of evolution and has written a couple of books on this too. So we'll be starting to talk about that with him, uh, but then we'll get into the technical. So um, anyways, this was a paper that he'd put out with a number of other people, and he's up at Sherbrooke University in Quebec. And this is a rat study basically looking at two different groups of rats, one in ketosis, one in not ketosis, and what were some of the differences. And sure enough, they found that increased GABA levels in the brain uh, were the results of ketosis. They also found things like uh, there's also increased branched-chain amino acids in the brain. Not by much, but more so than the control group. And so they think their uh, initial reason for doing this paper was to see why does a ketogenic diet help with epilepsy? Is it the ketones? Is it something else? And when you started to look and see the GABA level rises, they're thinking, well, maybe it's the GABA that increases because of the ketogenic diet. 
that is the thing that calms the epileptic children's their their brains wherever that particular kind of uh, seizures that they have and it calms that down so for those of us who aren't epileptic they'll find that taking GABA just like if you took a benzodiazepine if you had a gabapentin and all and this whole all the variations of those particular medications why is it you're taking that even quaaludes are similar to a increasing your GABA sensitivity well those are calming it's GABA would also uh, increase when you meditate. So it's that whole shift to being less excited, more focused, not less excited and drowsy and you're going to fall asleep on a under a hammock in a sunny Cape Cod afternoon under a tree. No, you're going to calm down and you're going to be focused. It is the zone. If there was a chemical that it's about getting in the zone, GABA would be the zone neurotransmitter. And Glutamate would be just the opposite. So when you have a favorable GABA to glutamate ratio, you're in the zone. Fascinating. And so you get that with the ketogenic diet. You don't get it on day well. You probably would get a little bit on day one. But this is something that's going to happen over time. These are one of the transitions that builds up. So when people are on the ketogenic diet, and yeah, they haven't eaten for breakfast and maybe not for lunch. They've had water. Uh, maybe they've had coffee. Um then how is it that they can stay so focused on what they're doing? This is the reason for that. So I would say, I would put this as the number one reason. It's a little bit on the abstract side to get into this kind of detail and say this is the top benefit for the ketogenic diet. But you think of the applications of students, of anybody who has a sustained need for focus, and good mood. You know, it's the focus of not you have 12 hours of research to do and you have to go in the library and lock yourself away, but it's like you're excited to do it. You have this uh, introverted excitement that you take with yourself on what you're going to do. It could be a walk in the woods, but it's that same thing. It brings you to the moment, if you will. It's a consciousness elevator, um, enlightener. And so can you imagine if you had pick a random room of 30 people and did a before and after? that the kind of conversations a room full of people on a ketogenic diet would have, given GABA, what we just finished talking about, versus a room full of people that are not on the GABA, that I bet you would have a sustained attention span. The kind of conversations they have would be more detailed, more involved, more exchanged, more considerate in terms of listening and then re responding, uh, and more uh, acutely tied together, if you will. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so there's that. So that goes in any direction. So I would say uh, if you're a parent and you're listening, you think about do you have uh, anybody in your family that is dealing with depression? Yes, you can go to the medication route, but that medication route leads to other medications and leads to other medications. And it often doesn't have a good outcome. It keeps them from dying maybe right away. Maybe this is something that everybody could do and shifts the whole family or at least that one individual, might even be you, to a better place and a little more awareness saying, you know, I can do this. The world just opened up and the sun just came out. It's, it's, that, it's that profound. It is absolutely that profound. Okay, I can go on and on about this, but I wanted to go on a few other things. There was um, a study. So along the lines of, of a ketogenic diet increasing GABA, um, and now we know a ketogenic diet is simply low carb, high fats, and 
calculated protein. But what if you were a little more specific? What if you really drilled down and said, all right, what kinds of fat should I have? Which is kind of one of my thesis, certainly in the, our Facebook group and in our coaching is that, you know, initially you just go low carb, high fat, on with life, you know, and moderate protein that you can calculate on your per body weight basis. What actually the fats are a big deal. Your brain is fats, your nerves are fat. So why don't we think of good fats? And so good fats would be primarily um, your omega-3s. Those are your fish fats. I'll leave it all that. We're going to be talking about that definitely when Dr. Conane comes on. Um, so if you think about incorporating, either as a supplement, but it's actually better preferred if you take omega-3s in terms of incorporating into your diet. They could be through sardines. They could be through you know, Alaskan wild-caught salmon, if you're lucky enough to get that. Those are the sources you should get it from. And there are some um, studies that imply that when you take your omega-3s in the proportions that they come in, when you get it in fish, as opposed to taking your supplements, it's actually much more effective. Um, it's also DHA is a big portion of your brain. So what I'm saying is, yes, the ketogenic diet increases GABA, a better thinking about along the lines of fats, getting your fish fats in there, we'll leave it at that, your omega-3s, and also some of your saturated fats. You do your C8s and C10s, but saturated fats in general. That's pretty interesting, eh? And so there's, if you were to go along, I'll go online and look at bipolar disorder and omega-3 fatty acids, you see there's a number of studies out there about that. When you put that in context of the ketogenic diet, you get an even a bigger bang for your buck about that. Um... Omega-3-6 ratio, when they talk about omega-3-6, they're talking usually about your um, your omega-6 is your arachidonic acid, which you get from animal, meaning beef, red meat. So that's pork and beef, hoofed animals. And um, they're fine to have. You need both. But in the standard American diet, which is both high fat, no, it's high carb, low fat, and poor quality fats, it's way over tilted to too much arachidonic acid and not enough omega-3s. So you can tilt that back to ideally being to a one-on-one, -on -one, but I almost never mention omega-6s because they're there. They're there already, and they're overwhelming amount relative to your omega-3s. So focus on your omega-3s is what I would say. Okay, so there was another little study, um, probably perhaps not too little, that study was about how saturated fats were bad for you. Saturated fats were bad for you and that it aided to post-traumatic stress disorder. So they did a rat study and a mouse study. And so what did they find? Well, I, I mentioned this because it's been uh, brought up actually a couple times recently and it's representative of how they do studies. When you give mice or rats, you have to give them a specific kind of chow. And this chow is not something you make up in the lab. The chow is actually, you go to the rat chow company and you order a specific number. So you have the identical rat chow that's given by other studies. So you have an apples to apples, rat chow to rat chow. But however, the control, uh, the control is already a um, high carb, low fat control. So that's already weird. And then when you go to the high fat, they simply just add sugar to it. So when you start breaking down, you know, what these studies are actually saying, you know, yes, in the high fat one, they put in some saturated fats, but you had sugar, you had, they changed the protein. It, it, the study falls apart is my point. 
And how the study should be done, obviously, is that there should be a qualitative, high-fat, low-carb group, and there should be maybe a 50-50, but they should be able to identify their fats, and they should be able to identify their carbs, what the sources are, and they should have the macros there. And that would be an apples to apples. They do not do that. And so consequently, they come up with the wrong conclusions. Saturated fats. So that was the that was the poorly done study. You can certainly look up, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and saturated fats, and you'll see how they did that. So, okay, what the point was was GABA. What the point was was calming. What the point was was uh, poorly done studies that try to show saturated fats are bad. Um, I'd like to move on a little bit from there. So the other point, remember I said there's two points that I think I think are the most important that one would consider going on to the ketogenic diet. So the second point is about inflammation. Seriously, inflammation. This has, and this is how I got into the uh, the ketogenic diet. I didn't come into the ketogenic diet because I wanted to sell ketogenic products or something like this. I came in because I needed something to save my life. Uh, if you're in our Facebook group, you saw me just post part of my uh, predisposition. I needed four blood transfusions in a couple of days because I had a gut bleed that just wouldn't go away. And that was due to tremendous amount of stress due to wife having a brain tumor, my brother just dying, mother dying before that, and the 2008 economic crisis uh, forced us to file for bankruptcy. All that just made my gut explode into Crohn's, the worst case of Crohn's, an ulcerated colitis, New London hospital I'd ever seen, and they put me on lots of steroids, which exacerbated the bleeding. So I was down to a hemocrit, a matocrit of 15, which is three cups of blood, and I should have had nine cups of blood. So that's why the blood transfusions finally. But what was driving all that was the inflammation. And so uh, it took me within a year, I had discovered the ketogenic diet and started uh, exploring that. And so my sole reason for being on the ketogenic diet was for controlling inflammation and, and secondarily gut health, but uh, controlling inflammation. So Pretty much the standard inflammatory marker now used is CRP, C-specific protein. And mine was over 10. I mean, I was just blithering, <laughs> huge inflammation. And uh, to stop the bleed, we had to stop the inflammation. So we did do that in time through the ketogenic diet. That's why I think this is such a big deal to control inflammation. Other people might not have that kind of dramatic story. They would have a story of uh, my knees hurt as I'm getting older. I'm I'm heavy. And so they lose the weight and they take the weight off their knees and that gets a little better. But what about some of the aches and pains of arthritis? A lot of that will disappear if your joints have been deformed because you've had the arthritis uh, for a long time. That's a different issue. But the degree that you have on a scale of 1 to 10, if you have arthritic pain, you probably get it down to a neighborhood of 2. That's dramatic. That means... There's that many medications you do not have to take that are going to have all those other side effects. So if I was to sort of just rattle off some other conditions that are specifically about inflammation that are benefits, I would say it's a, it's a component of autism. It's not the thing, but it's a big help in autism. By the way, it makes me think of, look at the um, Magic Pill uh, documentary, which is on Netflix. Traumatic TBI, traumatic brain injury, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, brain cancer, speaking of my wife, diabetes, prostate cancer, obesity, chronic pain, inflammation, multiple sclerosis, all this 
has an inflammatory component, some very, very high, some less so. So this brings it back down to getting down your inflammatory markers. How do we get down those inflammatory markers? My guess is it's not that unrelated to the increase in GABA we get. If you calm down, your inflammation drops. Here's a good example. In our coaching group, one woman who's taking it very seriously, that uh, she had had, does have high glucose readings. Uh, fasting and throughout the day readings of 150 to even 175 and once over 212. If she gets three readings, random readings over 226, over 126, you know, she'll be diagnosed as a diabetic. So nobody's formally ever diagnosed her for that. So uh, we find in her, I had to explain her sources of sugar were not just what she ate. It was what's endogenously made endogenously made. That is that your liver makes all the glucose you could ever need. When you're stressed, your cortisol is going to help your liver make a lot of glucose for you. So basically, when you're on a a stress job, whether it's short-term stress or long-term stress, you are on a high sugar diet. So your glucose will be high and it's not uh, your own fault. It's not about, it's not diet related. It's uh, environment related. So she happened to take her blood work. And then she went for a massage and just realized she was too stressed. She brought her 220, 212, reading down to uh, 120. And then she realized that uh, having to drive an hour each day, each way to work in LA traffic was very stressful. She changed all that so she doesn't have to do that anymore. This is the first time she's had her blood glucose readings under 100. So that story and that component is all about stress producing sugar, but also when you take the stress away and you're on the ketogenic diet, the GABA to glutamate ratio, right, more GABA, is going to help you calm down and stay focused, not make you sleepy, but stay focused on what you have to do. In fact, be more productive. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so these two are closely related, I would certainly say. So... When we back up and we say, gosh, you know, why would I go on a ketogenic diet? Why would you go on the ketogenic diet? Ask yourself that. The most obvious and most tangible answer you'll come up with is you'll, you'll look at your arms, your belly, your legs, your butt, and say, uh, I have weight to lose. I think I'll do that. I want to look good. That's a valid reason. Absolutely, that's a valid reason. And that's uh, almost an easy way to get motivated to get into a ketogenic diet because you can weigh yourself. Everything's pretty empirical, right? And then you do your macros. Everything becomes pretty numbers-oriented. But not many people come in and say, you know, I just want to be a little more focused. That's a vague word. Well, this now made that vague word a much more actionable item that you could pursue because it really has to do with getting your GABA up. And your GABA is one of your side benefits. One of the connections I didn't draw to your GABA was butyrate. I didn't make the obvious bridge was your ketones, beta-hydroxybutyrate, and GABA, gamma-aminobutyric acid. These are directly related to each other. And so uh, that's profound. I mean, we now can draw these connections to each other. The connection about anti-inflammatory 
hasn't been worked out enough in my mind to simply say because we make ketones, um, beta-hydroxybutyrate and pseudoacetate and acetone, that we can say that they're all anti-inflammatories. Um, it's nice to say that, and we know that they have some anti-inflammatory properties, but when it comes to the gut, let's say in my particular story, we know that butyrate, just straight butyrate, is the preferred fuel for the cells that line your large intestine, called your colonocytes. So if you have butyrate, and we know from medicine over the last, oh, I think 60, 70 years, when you had a patient that had a really inflamed uh, large intestine, the lower bowel, that if you gave them a butyrate enema, somewhat problematic to deliver that, but um, it would be almost an immediate anti-inflammatory effect for the, the bowel and uh, tremendously beneficial. That's why people talk about butter, butter being not high in butyrate, but it has some butyrate in it. I think that's reaching kind of far. Yes, there's butyrate in it, but if you had a diet just of butter, would your colon be happy? I don't think I wouldn't go that far. Uh, I think it's a small contribution. And it used to be thought that, oh, wait a minute, you needed short chain fatty acids, that's what butyrate is, that came because you had, you know, a diet of uh, particular fibers. That's being challenged. So there's many ways to get butyrate. It's no longer having to have a fibrous diet that's going to make these short chain fatty acids butyrate. Um, we now found, actually, find you actually get a lot of butyrate when you're on a ketogenic diet because that's the definition is uh, ketohydroxybutyrate. I mean, uh, beta hydroxybutyrate. So that's interesting. And so butyrate for the part of the body that I was suffering most from was exactly what I needed. I don't have all the steps painted out, but I'm sure that that was um, very helpful, way more than butter would have been. And since I'm not big with dairy, uh, butter's not something I do very often. I won't say I don't do well on, but um, if I have too much of it, it doesn't work well with me. So to summarize, the two reasons that you don't hear a lot about are the ga increased GABA levels. They give a sense of calmness and focus. Uh, you can see them as a antidepressants. You can see them as a, um, a quote-unquote slightly tranquilizing, meaning these are the this is these are the categories that uh, benzodiazepine and gabapentin and uh, um, quaaludes, for lack of a better, uh, lack of a better word, category of pharmaceuticals that um, they're in. But it's calming, so it's calming and focus. And I believe that's directly related to the anti-inflammatory effect along with the increase in butyrate. So when you think of the second class of medications uh, that pharmaceutical companies make are anti-inflammatories. So you now have the first, the first largest category, antidepressants, and the second largest category, uh, anti-inflammatories. So that's pretty impressive. So that doesn't mean I don't, that doesn't mean I'm not valuing that people become non-diabetic. I would say that's equally important, and that's a result of the increased GABA and the result of the increased butyrate that comes because you dropped your carbs and therefore you dropped your glucose and therefore you dropped your insulin. And it goes on and on. It's just it's phenomenal. Uh, it's a big big deal. 
sometimes um, I feel I'm a little bit too passionate about the ketogenic diet. Therefore, I'm one of those religious people up front that people go, just don't ask him about it. He's going to go on too long about it. If it saved your life, you would be telling everybody else as well. And uh, my wife certainly had her story to share about her brain cancer and how that's never come back. Can we ever prove that it's because of the ketogenic diet that's never come back? No. I mean, you, you, you can only be one person. You know, there's not a control to run against that. So for today, I am going to uh, wrap up by adding just one thing. Uh, another study that came out just in the last couple of years is called the, uh, and this simply verifies what we've already been talking about, the saturated fats are actually associated with uh, increased health. And so this study is called the Association of Fats and Carbohydrate Intake with Cardiovascular Disease and Mortality in 18 Countries from Five Continents, called the PURE Study, a prospective cohort. And so uh, it correlated a number of things, but it is one of the studies that totally dismisses the idea that saturated fats are negatively uh, correlated with uh, cardiovascular and um, that's a big deal. Okay, it's been a little bit technical. I hope you got two points out of this, and I would say these are the two, if you did nothing else, and if this is the only podcast you ever listened to me talk about, and you said you want increased GABA and you want to decrease your inflammation, you go for it, because that's a big deal, and you'll see all these other subsequent changes, okay? So for now, I'll say goodbye, and let me just say, for those of you uh, who I haven't gotten back to various emails, they've... I, I will. I will eventually. Um, we are gradually getting a little more sophisticated in how we're putting all this together, so it will become a little more streamlined. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. For anybody who has any questions, feel free to contact me on our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Same name as our podcast. I'm open to any questions, and we plod through the good and the bad, the difficult and the easy, week after week.